Letter ninety eight of Letters from Egypt by Lady Lucy Duff Gordon. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. To Sir Alexander Duff Gordon, Luxor, February third, eighteen sixty seven. Dearest Alec, the boat goes down to morrow, and I have little to add to Mutter's letter, only that I am better. There is a man here from Girga who says he is married to a Guinea fairy princess. I have asked to be presented to her, but I suspect there will be some hitch about it. It will be like Alexis's Allez, madame, vous êtes trop incrédule. The unintelligible thing is that the motive which prompts wonders and miracles here, seeing that the wonder workers do not get any money by it, and indeed very often give, like the Indian saint I told you of who gave me four dollars. His miracles were all gratis, which was the most miraculous thing of all in a saint. I am promised that the Guinea shall come through the wall. If she should do it, I shall be compelled to believe in her, as there are no mechanical contrivances in Luxor. All the harem here believe it, and the man's human wife swears she waits on her like a slave, and backs her husband's lie or delusion fully. I have not seen the man, but I should not wonder if it were a delusion. Real bona fide visions and revelations are so common, and I think there is but little downright imposture. Meanwhile, familiarity breeds contempt. Jinns, afrits, and shaitans inspire far less respect than the stupidest ghost at home, and the devil, Iblis, is reduced to deplorable insignificance. He is never mentioned in the pulpit, or in religious conversation, with the respect he enjoys in Christian countries. I suppose we may console ourselves with the hope that he will pay off the Muslims for their neglect of him hereafter. I cannot describe to you the misery here now. Indeed, it is wearisome even to think of, every day some new tax. Now every beast, camel, cow, sheep, donkey, horse, is made to pay. The fellaheen can no longer eat bread. They are living on barley meal, mixed with water and new green stuff, vetches, etc., which to people used to good food is terrible, and I see all my acquaintances growing seedy and ragged and anxious. Yusuf is clear of debt, his religion having kept him from borrowing, but he wants to sell his little slave-girl, and has sold his donkey, and he is the best off. The taxation makes life almost impossible. One hundred piastres for fedin, a tax on every crop, on every annual fruit, and again when it is sold in the market, on every man, on charcoal, on butter, on salt, on the dancing-girls. I wonder I am not tormented for money. Not above three people have tried to beg or borrow. Thanks for the Westminster epilogue. It always amuses me much. So, Terence was a nigger. There is no trace of the negro boy in his Davis. My nigger has grown huge, and has developed a voice of thunder. He is of the elephantine rather than the tiger species, a very mild young savage. I shall be sorry when Palgrave takes him. I am tempted to buy Yusuf's nice little Dinka girl to replace him, only a girl is such an impossibility where there is no regular harem. In the boat Ahmed is enough under Omar, but in this large, dusty house, and with errands to run, and comers and goers to look after, pipes and coffee and the like, it takes two boys to be comfortable. Maybrook, too, washes very well. It is surprising how fast the boys learn, and how well they do their work. Ahmed, who is quite little, would be a perfectly sufficient servant for a man alone. He can cook, wash, clean the rooms, make the beds, do all the table service, knife and plate cleaning, all fairly well, and I believe now he would get along even without Omar's orders. 
Mabruk is slower, but he has the same merit our poor Hassan had. He never forgets what he has been once told to do, and he is clean in his work, though hopelessly dirty as to his clothes. He cannot get used to them, and takes a roll in the dust, or leans against a dirty wall, oblivious of his clean-washed blue shirt. Achmet is quicker and more careless, but they both are good boys and very fond of Omar. Uncle Omar is the form of address, though he scolds them pretty severely if they misbehave, and I observe that the hijinks take place chiefly when only I am in the way, and Omar gone to market or the mosque. The little rogues have found out that their laughing does not affect my nerves, and I am often treated to a share in the joke. How I wish Rainy could see the children, they would amuse her. Yusuf's girl, Mir and Nezil, is a charming child, and very clever. Her enigmatic way of explaining everything to me, and her gestures, would delight you. Her cousin and future husband, age five, she is six, broke the doll which I had given her, and her description of it was most dramatic, ending with a wheedling glance at the cupboard, and of course there are no more dolls there, oh no, no more. She is a fine little creature, far more Arab than Felaha, quite a shaitan, her father says. She came in full of making cakes for Biram, and offered her services. Oh, my aunt, if thou wantest anything I can work said she, tucking up her sleeves. End of letter 98. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox files are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org.